My family has recently discovered this uh, frozen yogurt place in Wausau, and uh, I don't like it. Uh, okay, so you go in this place, and, and my family loves it. I mean, my wife loves it, my kids love it, they always want to go there. And I go into this frozen yogurt bar, and, and what, what it is is you've got like 20 flavors of yogurt against the wall, and with all these spouts, and, and you kind of go up and you get this, this bowl. No, it's actually probably a tub, okay? It's this tub, and, and you can fill up your yogurt tub at any of these uh, different uh, spouts of yogurt. Maybe 20 to choose from. And then you're not done. So then, next to that, there's this other part of the bar where there's these plastic containers against the wall full of, like, candy and stuff. And you can turn the knob, and, and, and candy can, can float down to your, to your tub of, of yogurt, okay? But then you're not done. Because next to that, there's this other bar, and it's got fruits and, and, and all sorts of stuff, and, and whipped cream and tons of stuff. So, I don't know, but I like math, and so I'm calculating this, like, there's so many different combinations, it's almost overwhelming. And too many choices. And as I'm going through, you know, then I found out later at the end of this trip that, that they weigh what you put in your tub and they charge you by the ounce. Well, that takes all the fun out of it. Seriously. I mean, because I'm looking at it, I'm looking at Caitlin's and I'm like, you know, a little less Oreos. I'm dumping those on the floor, you know, like no more, no more. And like, Seriously, like, you got to put gummy worms on that? Like, those are heavy. I can buy you a package. <laughs> you don't put that on chocolate anyway. That's wrong. That's just wrong. Um, syncretism, right? Going back to last week. Uh, and, and, and I think I think my hang-up with it is, I, it's just too many options for me. I don't know what I want. I just don't know what I want. Sometimes, you know, I just want to keep it simple, right? I just want to, I'm okay looking at a menu and saying, well, I want that. But if I order one thing, I know how it's going to come out to me. You're, you're just going to give me however it normally comes. I don't have to say add sprinkles, add uh, you know gummy worms. Just it's too much, too many options. And I think, I think today we have so many options in front of us in so many different areas of life that sometimes it stifles the most important things, the most important things. There's just too many options. So so. Inst- I mean, for me, I'd just rather not walk through the door of the yogurt bar. Just, just don't take me there. There's too much there. And some of us, we don't walk through the door of ministry because there's just so much already going on. There's just so much clamoring for our attention. I was thinking about that this week, and e- even the way I do the news, even the way I process the news, there's so many options out there. And so I can get on one website, and I'm, I'm reading an article, halfway through I'm like, this guy's boring, and I click off of it, you know? I want to read something else. It's more exciting. I have options. Well, we are a nation of options. And for a lot of you, you know, you love that, okay? I mean, you're like my family. The idea of 20 flavors and, and a gazillion different combinations you can put on top of it, that, like, you just love that. But for me, it kind of stifles me. And I just think with so many options, we, we almost just, we just lose something about what's more important. What are my options in life that are the most important things that I should be doing? And I think Jesus addresses that to a church in the book of Revelation. Would you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3? Revelation chapter 3. So we're in a brand new series called Unveiled. The idea behind Unveiled is that Revelation is not about the Antichrist. It's not about, 
you know, that's stuff, the beasts, you know, it's not about that. Revelation's about Jesus from start to finish. Every chapter is about Jesus. It's about his person, his power, and his program for history. It's all about him. And so Revelation unveils who Jesus is to us. In Revelation 3, uh, look, there are, there, are seven, there are seven churches listed in the book of Revelation. And the idea was that a messenger would kind of go along this route and deliver the book of Revelation to these different churches. They would read it in their church, maybe in one sitting, and, and they, they would listen to the words. But, but for seven churches, there was a special message from Jesus to the church. And you know what? We, we could spend a long time on the seven churches, but we want to move through Revelation so that we can, we can get through it by Christmas. That, that, that's the goal, okay? So I'm not going to look at every all the seven churches, but, but I do want to kind of give you a feel for how the letters normally go. So if you have notes in front of you, I'm um, in your bulletin, uh, you might notice that in all of these letters, you have this description of Jesus first, and then Jesus usually gives the church a commendation, a good word, like, you're doing really good in this area. And then he gives them a rebuke. Usually he says, here's something that's not going so well. And then he gives a solution to the problem. And then he gives consequences if they don't do it. Usually the solution involves some repenting. And then he gives them a promise. So if you, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do for you. Here's a promise. We are talking about the church in Philadelphia today. I almost preached Thyatira. I'm really glad I didn't. Thyatira is about immorality. And, and, you know, I was thinking about that. Last week, I was sure I was preaching that. And then Monday morning came, and I started studying, and I was just like, I, I, don't, I don't think this is it. I, whatever, my heart wasn't settled. And I'm, now I'm really glad I didn't, because I think this service, you know, hearing from Honey Rock, having the Honey Rock team leading this morning, um, you know, I, I think this really fits with where the service is going, what God is saying this morning. And, and I'm glad he let me know that early because uh, it would have stunk if he would have let me know last night, okay? Just, just say that, all right? That would have been bad. Um, so I'm looking at Revelation 3, uh, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but though they are not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia was not a politically powerful city. It was more known for economics, trade guilds. Um, It was known as a place where there were a lot of earthquakes. 
In fact, one such earthquake almost wrecked the whole city. And because of that, a lot of the people who lived in Philadelphia actually chose to live, actually they worked in Philadelphia, but they lived outside the city walls because of the, the threat of earthquakes. The church is described in three different ways by Jesus here. Um, they're described as weak. Now maybe, maybe that non-powerfulness means that, that they don't have a lot of people that, that are a part of that church. Maybe they're not very wealthy. Maybe they just don't have a lot of influence in the city. But, but they're weak. And then he also says, though, that they are very word-based. He says, you haven't denied my word. You, you, you've kept my name. You, you, you focused on me through whatever. And then he says, you've also persevered. Um, let me look at it, read how he says it here. Um, he says in chapter 3, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Not denying Jesus' name. Sounds as if they were persecuted. Sounds as if there was opposition coming at the church, but they didn't give up. I think to understand what Jesus is saying to the Philadelphian church, we have to understand at least three symbols here. We have to understand what this key of David is and what that's all about. We have to understand what Jesus means by, look, I put an open door in front of you. And we have to understand what it means when he says, I'm going to make you a pillar. If we can understand those three symbols, we can figure out what Jesus is trying to say to the church in Philadelphia. Okay? So uh, let's take it one by one. You have this in your notes so you can kind of uh, follow along. What is the key of David? What's the key of David? To understand it, I think we've got to go to Isaiah 22. I invite you to look at Isaiah 22, keeping your finger in Revelation. All right. Um, I'm in the wrong place. Let's see. Here we are. Isaiah 22, verse 20. says, In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him, its offspring and its offshoots, all the lesser vessels from the bulls to all the jars. And that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the peg driven into the firm place will give way, will be sheared off and will fall, and the load will hang, will be cut down. The Lord has spoken. So this is a prophecy about Israel. And in this prophecy, he's like, I'm putting a new servant in charge in the house of Israel. I'm putting a new servant in charge because the last guy wasn't a good guy. I'm putting my servant Eliakim. And I'm going to give Eliakim the key to the house of David. Seems like what he's saying is, Eliakim's going to take over. And he's going to give you give people access or deny access to the kingdom. Like, you want to see the king? I'm controlling who gets in and who doesn't get in. Eliakim. And if he shuts the door, you're not getting in. And if he opens the door, you can come in. And so I think what we're going for here is that Jesus, Jesus holds this key of David. And it seems like this stands for then authority in the kingdom of God. 
your blank in your notes is authority. Authority in the kingdom of God. You can come in. You can't come in. But it's all down to Jesus' authority. And I was, in Ma- I was in Madison last weekend, and my family was attending a uh, Badgers game, the first one we've ever got to go to. A lot of fun. And after the game was over, we were, gonna, uh, uh, we were invited by a family that we're friends with to talk to the players, and, and one in particular that's a friend of ours. And we, we, were, we were supposed to go back to this back area in Camp Randall. But uh, what happened was my kids were hanging out with our friends, and they were kind of like, you know, in Madison, you do like a fifth quarter after the football game. Well, my kids were standing right by like the fenced area where they're watching the band, right? And, and Christy and I were kind of still sitting up higher, you know, we're kind of sitting there watching our kids below with our friends. And then it was time to go. Fifth quarter's over, band's done, time to go. And, and so my kids start walking off because they're going to meet with the players after the game. Well, that's fun. So Christy and I are watching them go. We got to meet up with them. So we start walking down and all the people are exiting the stadium and we're just kind of following the flow. We kind of lost track of where our kids were and where our friends were, but they're all together. They're okay. And we just start, start walking out. And we just walked out of the gate, and suddenly I'm going, I wonder if it's, we're supposed to be inside, you know? And there's these two security guards. So we start to walk back in. They're like, you can't come back in. I'm sorry, you, just, you can't come back in. I'm like, no, no, my, my kids are in there. No, no, you don't understand. Once you walk out, you can't come back in. Okay. So uh, I kind of do this, you know, uh, you don't understand. Like, my kids are back there. We're supposed to be back there. We're friends here. And, and the guy says, look, I'm not supposed to let anybody back in, but I'll make an exception. You can come back in. Now, I wasn't going to rush in. I couldn't do that. I mean, security is there. They would have, like, thrown me out. Or I don't know. I don't know what they would have done to me. But, but the idea of Jesus here is he is the entrance of the kingdom of God. You, you can't get through him. You can't rush in. He has the authority to throw you out or let you in. This is all about entrance. And look, if you've got a, what he says here, a synagogue of Satan, if you've got Jewish people who are persecuting you and saying, you're not, you don't really belong to God, us Jewish people that reject Jesus, well, we've got the true thing going on here. If you've got this group of people that are saying, you're not really, you're not really part of the people of God, to hear Jesus say, look, I control who gets in and who doesn't. I hold the keys. I have the authority. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's encouraging to the church. So it seems like keys designate authority. Who comes in and who stays out. Second symbol we've got to look at here is, what's the open door? What's going on here? Now, um, I want you to look at the context again so you can flip back to uh, Revelation 3 and, and how he says it. Um, Revelation 3, he says in verse 8, I know your deeds. See a place before you, an open door that no one can shut. Doors in the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the gate. You've got to enter through me. Other times he said, you need to strive to enter through the narrow gate. For broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go through there. But, but the narrow gate leads to life. So, so gates and doors often in the Bible show salvation. Salvation. But then Paul talks about doors. And when he talks about doors, he says, I want you to pray for me that an open door will be made so I can proclaim the message. Right? I want an open door for ministry. So is it salvation or is it ministry? Well, look at the context again. What are we saying in Revelation here? Um, 
he said in verse 7, you know, what he, what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. So that's kind of a very salvation-oriented thing, you know, that there's authority to let you into the kingdom or keep you out of the kingdom. And then later, if you look at verse 12, there's this pillar thing in the temple of my God. That's kind of a very futuristic, uh, in heaven, we're never going to leave, we'll be there forever. So I'm going, okay, obviously it's got to be about entering the kingdom of God. But then he also says in verse 8, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. See a place before you an open door. It's like Jesus is saying, you know all that good stuff that you're doing for me, all the serving you're doing, that when you share your faith with people, and people actually come to know me, when you give money to the poor and you help them, and they start joining your body, this local gathering, you thought that was you, that was me. I mean, you did it. They were your deeds. But I put the open door for it to work. I'm the one that opened the door for ministry here. You just walk through it. So I think both senses are really going on here. What's the open door? Uh, two things. Entrance and ministry in the kingdom of God. The open door shows that we can walk through Jesus and have a relationship with him, but also that we can serve him as a local church. And he's going to keep the door open for what we're trying to accomplish here. Okay. Now, what's the pillar? What's the pillar? Um, look back at our verses again. We're looking at verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. And he goes on about these names. But first of all, he starts with a pillar. I'm going to make you a pillar. Well, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in 1 Kings 7, Solomon builds the temple to God. Remember, David wants to build the temple, but God says, you're not the guy to do this. Your son Solomon's going to build me a temple. He's going to do it. Solomon builds a temple, and in 1 Kings, there's two pillars that, that, that Solomon builds on the temple. Two major pillow, pillars in that, in that passage. And he names the pillars. Two names. One pillar's name is Jachin, and one pillar's name is Boaz. The pillar Jachin means established, and the pillar Boaz, Boaz means strength. So you've got two pillars, establish and strength. And Jesus is saying to this persecuted church, this, this weak church, in the long run, you're going to be firm and established. He says to this church that has experienced earthquakes, now, you see, in the future, you're going to be with me in heaven and you're never going to go out from it, you're, you're going to be firm and established. I've established the, your church in this life. I'm giving you an open door. No one can close the door of your church. But in the next life, you're, you're going to be so solid that nothing will ever shake you again. That's what he's saying. You're going to be a pillar. So uh, pillars seem to suggest security in the kingdom of God. Security. Um, you're not going anywhere. Now, um, that is three symbols in that passage. Three symbols that I think we had to work through to get to where we're going here, the conclusion. 
What, what is Jesus trying to say to this church? If we try to summarize all of this, I think what Jesus is saying is, the church has been given a great opportunity by Jesus. A great opportunity. That's, that's the word. Opportunity. Now, this goes back to 20 different flavors and too many options. We have opportunities all over the place. And sometimes we miss the best opportunities. Sometimes the spiritual opportunities in front of us, we just, I don't know, we're not tracking because so much else is going on. My sister told me a story once where she, she bought a package of M&M's and she opened it up. Now, I don't know what you do, but, but whenever you buy a candy bar or uh, something that has, like, win $10,000, do you always look and see if you've won? I mean, I, I do. And this, and this one, this M&M rapper said, look inside and see if you win $10,000. And so she opened it up, she looked inside, and it said, you win $10,000. I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious. It says, you win. And so she's, like, going crazy about this. This is so great. And then she looked at the fine print, and the contest ended two weeks ago. It ended two weeks ago. I mean, missed opportunity. Now, now, let's just think for a second. Let's say that the package said, ends midnight tonight. Let, let's just say that she had till midnight that night. Do you think she would have, like, called them? Well, yeah. Do you think she would have driven across the country if she could, or flew, flown in an airplane to get her ten grand? I would. I mean, if it said you've got to appear at the door of M&M's and, and knock on, you know, I would go, I would go, right? Book my flight. I'd take it. You, you just don't waste those opportunities. But then there's other opportunities that we have. You know, I, I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of like a couple summers ago, I was in Madison going to the, the zoo, free zoo, kind of fun for the family. Didn't find a place to park. Oh, look, all the cars are parking on the grass. I'll park there. You can't do that. All right, don't do it. Uh, I, got, I, got a, I got a ticket. I got a parking ticket. And I was like, well, that's not fair. There's no sign up. There, there was no sign that says don't park here. Everybody was parking there. I just, I just peer pressed it. Um, and, uh, and then I got the ticket in the mail. I got a ticket on my windshield. And then, you know, I thought, well, at least I'm going to try, see what I could do, which is really dumb, and say, you know, maybe I should tell them there's no sign there. I didn't know and see what they do. Well, so I wrote this little thing and sent it in and said, you know, what about this? I, I didn't know. And then they sent me a back response that now I was late and now I had to pay this extra $25 on top of everything. I'm like, I was just, you know, you can't fight it. Just don't. Um, I was trying to delay, I was trying to delay doing what I knew that I had to do was pay the fine. Um, when it comes to spiritual opportunities, I want to be in the first story and, and, and do anything I can to, to take advantage of it. I want to be the guy that says, look, if this contest ends by midnight, I'll drive across the country. I'll fly. I'll do whatever I can to take advantage of this. This is great. I want to see those. Up. I don't want to be late. I don't want to be late. But but sometimes when it comes to spiritual things, we just kind of drag our feet. And oh, should I do this? Should I not? Is it the Lord's will? Is it not? You know. And, and we just we just drag out. And I think sometimes we just miss what God's trying to do. As I thought about this. And the, and the open door thing that God has given to Three Lakes, I believe, an open door into our Northwoods community to reach them. I thought, what stops people from, from grabbing on to spiritual opportunities? 
to serve God? What stops us? I don't have all the answers, but I thought of at least three that that I think kind of make us pause and go, do I really want to do this? Should I really be doing this? You know, I'm going to write the letter and maybe I I should try to get out of it. You know, what stops us in our tracks? Some of us are just too busy. We're just too busy. All right? We, We have too much going on. And we're not doing the great things that God wants for us. We're just doing the things that are in front of us. Yeah, I've got to do A, B, C, and D. My, my day is only 24 hours. Some of them I've got to spend sleeping. But some of us just have way too much going on. And we have to ask ourselves a question. Am I doing the best things? Or am I just, just doing what I've got to do? Too many opportunities. So we never walk through the door of the yogurt bar because there's just too much going on. There's just too much. Um, by the way, Colossians 1 addresses that. I won't have you turn there. But in Colossians 1, Paul says, I, he says, we're praying for you, Colossian church, I'm paraphrasing now, that, that you might be full of the knowledge of God. And then he says, so that you might be uh, uh, do good works. I should really read it because my paraphrasing is terrible. All right. Um, Colossians 1. Colossians 1, uh, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will with, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I pray that you're going to have the knowledge that you need to bear fruit for God. So we ought to be praying that we know the things that we should be doing and the things that we shouldn't be doing. Because a lot of what we do, I, I listened to a guy at Willow Creek a couple uh, last month. I was at their leadership conference. Bob Goff wrote a great book called Love Does, read the book. And, and Bob Goff is like speaking to us and he says, I quit something new every Thursday. I'm just like, what? It's like, quit something new every Thursday. And I think that's like, for, for normal Americans, that's probably pretty healthy. Because we got a lot going on. we got a lot going on. Um, just don't quit the church, all right? <laughs> just don't do that. Um, we might be too busy. Why don't we see opportunities? Uh, for a lot of us, we just don't feel qualified. We just don't feel qualified. And sometimes that, that unqualified feeling goes so far. We, we, we look around and we say, look, they're really spiritual. They should be doing the work of God. Or look at him, he's great. And, and, and it happens, it happens. I shouldn't be teaching. I shouldn't be leading. I'm not qualified. Ephesians 2 says, though, that you've been saved by grace through faith. But then the next verse says, God has prepared you for good works. You're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. I mean, he, he made you to serve in a spiritual way. He made you to do it. If you're not qualified, if you feel unqualified, maybe you need some training. Maybe you decide I need a little help here in this area, but don't let it stop you from serving. And lastly, um, we might we might not take opportunities because we have an inaccurate view of the church and an accurate view of what the church is. Here, here's what the church is. 
Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Um, verse 12. How about 11? So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God put... God gave the church leaders, pastors, teachers to equip people to do the work of the church. So... We are here to accomplish the mission of the church, connect people to God, grow to be like Christ. We're here for that. If we don't step up and do it, the church won't be the church. That's what we're all here for. If I'm not equipping people, I'm not doing my job. That's why we're starting a leadership group here. I hope you'll consider doing it. We're putting it off one month and starting in October. If you're thinking about, I just want to step into something and, and be more effective, and it might be for you. But that's what we're here to do. Um, the church is not about professionals. It's about the people of God doing what the people of God are called to do. Now, I want to talk about one opportunity in particular that's really heavy on my heart, and, and then we'll, we'll be singing one more song together. Um, we believe in this church that discipleship happens best when it's done in community. That's what we believe. I mean, Honey Rock's got a great strength there because, I mean, they've, they've got this place where they're, where they're all at. I think there's a great community there. We as a church, we're a little more spread out. We've got people here, there. How do we do discipleship? How do we grow to be like Christ in community well? well we have these things called community groups. We talked about them last week. That is, we believe it's a great idea to meet together in each other's homes or even here at the church and, and, and talk about the Bible do life together, and then once a month go and serve somewhere. That, that's the idea behind community groups. You have community when you meet together, and then you go out and you serve in your community. I want to encourage you to think about joining one, but we have a problem, okay? Um, we don't have enough groups. We don't have enough leaders of community groups. Our vision behind it is that you can do a Bible study and be a community group, but you don't have to be a Bible study. You can just take... I create questions every week based on the sermon. Okay, I, I give you a whole order of what you could do in your community group, and you could just lead through those questions and talk about what the sermon was about, go deeper in it, and talk about what it means for your life. Um, anybody, almost anybody, can lead that. So I'm asking you to prayerfully consider leading a small group, leading a community group because we don't have a lot of them going on, and I think it's going to be vital to this church that we can do life together. If someone new comes into this building, they want to know, can I connect with people here? Do people love me here? Where do I go just to connect with people? Community groups do that, and, and they help us grow together. They give us accountability together. So would you prayerfully consider that? Downstairs I have a paper where you can sign up if you're interested in being a community group leader. I, I, I'm very willing to do training on that to give you some of the basics and how you can do that really well. But it seems like that's where we have to go as a church. We have to get to the point where we're meeting together because we're big enough here that you can't connect with everybody in this room. It just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. The last thing I want to do before we, before we worship the Lord one more time in song is just give you a chance to process 
this opportunity that we have. Are you doing the best things? This wasn't really in my sermon notes. I just kind of, as I was singing this morning, I thought, this is a good one just to reflect for a minute or two and say, what, what am I doing? Am I really doing what God has called me to do? Or am I just so busy that, that, that I'm not really being the church? I'm not really being the church. So I just want to give you a, a silent minute to think about your life. So you could close your eyes and bow your heads now. I just want you to ask yourself, am I too busy? Have I been making excuses about not jumping in and serving? What should I be doing? you come forward father we uh we just we want to do the things you've called us to do we want to take advantage of opportunities we don't want to be too late for them we want to be able to see them but god we're often in this country in particular we got so much going or sometimes we just we listen to these voices in our head that say you can't do it. You're not good enough. God, help us see our value in the kingdom of God. Help us see that, that we have been born again. We've been transformed. We've been made a new creation. And, and we're now your workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you prepare in advance for us to do. Help us make the most of every opportunity that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.